Why the hell would anybody want to get into the construction trades today? Welcome to Pro Tradecraft's Career Toolbox. I'm Fernando and I'm here to help you turn your day job into a career. One of my guys quit last month. He was tired of getting dirty and believed he could find a much better career selling cell phones for Verizon. He's an outgoing, charming kid and the cell phone company offered him a base salary and commissions. One month later, he's back on my job site. He discovered that the base salary plus commissions added up to a lot less money than what I pay, unless he sold a ridiculous number of phones. Many guys, including myself, have gone through this, leaving the trades and coming back after finding out that there's not much out there that pays better and allows you to be yourself. Today, we're going to find out why, when I introduce my guest, Elliot Eisenberg, PhD in economics. When you overbuild, the hangover is inevitable. When you underbuild, the chances of having a, a recession or a banging hangover the next morning are very remote. But first, let's start with the money. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, among the top 50 jobs for a guy without a college degree, 17 of them are in construction-related fields. Everything from building foreman to insurance adjuster. You might be getting dirty today and walking around in a white shirt with a clipboard in your hand 20 years from now, all the while making good money. An elevator installer rakes in about $79,000 a year. A typical plumber can make as much as 90000 Hell, a laborer without much more than a good attitude and a pulse starts out at nearly 20 bucks an hour. The cell phone company paid the employee that I just mentioned $11 an hour plus commissions. If he sold about 50 phones a month, which he discovered wasn't all that easy to do, this added another 10 cents to his hourly wage. But if he were to stick with the trades, get certifications and job training, his salary would grow from about the $20 an hour I pay him today to a median salary of $104,950 a year. Again, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, should he rise through the ranks and become a project manager at a large home building or construction company. Now let's talk about being yourself. If you've ever worked in an office, you've encountered what they call water cooler culture, where small talk, gossip, they're the norm. You have to watch your manners and act just so. Everybody's very sensitive and politics rules. At the job site, nobody gives a shit about your personality. If you can nail trim without leaving hammer marks and tighten up a fitting just so it won't leak, you're golden. Come with tattoos and unshaven. It's not your demeanor so much as how you work that counts. And not how you look, for sure. Yeah, if you want to get a white-collar position in time, you're going to have to clean up your act. But what I'm getting at is you're free to be yourself on the job site. For many of us, it's a relief to put up with the racket of power tools but not worry about how we dress or conform to polite society. All the while, we're doing something useful and creative. We're building and remodeling. My guest, Elliot Eisenberg, was a senior economist at the National Association of Home Builders. Today, he travels a talk circuit, entertaining and enlightening folks with his take on the national economy. 
Talk about a guy who doesn't care about dress code and social norms. He wears a bow tie. And I've seen him standing on a table addressing a crowded room of builders smiling ear to ear because the guy is funny and he has good news for our industry. Elliot, welcome to Pro Tradecraft's debut episode of the Career Toolbox. This is great, you know. Dad, thank you for the invitation. Let me start with a very basic question, and the one I posed at the top of this podcast. With all the din and the dust, why the hell would anyone want to get into building trades? This is a booming time right now. There's a vast labor shortage. There's all the trades, plumbing, heating, cooling, everything, rough carpentry, pay is good. Job promotion opportunities are there, and wage growth is almost 6% a year, almost twice as good as the national average, because the dearth of workers is so acute. This is ridiculous. Ridiculously rich opportunity. But you know, a lot of my hammer jockeys are gun-shy from the last recession. They're worried about making good money today and setting themselves up for the next crash. What's the carryover? I mean, there's always this sort of problem. People go into architecture, it's boom and bust. Businesses come and go. You can't plan forever in your life, but it's pretty easy to say next five, ten years, the chances of having a recession like we had before where we have just an vast oversupply of workers because of massive unemployment is ridiculously low. We're underbuilding dramatically right now. We should be building 1.5 or 1.6 million units a year. We're building 1.2 so we're, and the shortage is getting worse every year because we continue to underbuild. So even if we have a recession, the demand for construction, the demand for homes will continue, albeit a little more slowly than now. But it's hard to see that. What we had in 2008-9 was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. A lot of economists are predicting another recession in 2019 or 2020. Even if we go into a recession, it'll be a normal recession. And we'll get out of it. Job growth will continue. The job, sh- the, the, the home shortage, the construction shortage that persisted before the recession will continue after the recession. The problems are that cities don't allow new construction to be, to be undertaken. It's hard for builders to build, to get buy right land and so on and so forth. So this problem isn't going to go away. The demands will be there for, for the foreseeable future. This is a great time to get into it. Okay, Elliot. You're an economist saying things like supply and demand. Could you give us a little tailgate economics lesson in supply and demand? Sure. If you look at it today, job creation's about 2.4 million, 2.5, whatever. That translates into about 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 million households, new households a year. People who move out of their parents' house or grandparents' house and want to live by themselves or with housemates or whatever. But we're only building 1.2 million units right now, 1.25 million. So we're under, we're underbuilding by about 100,000 right there. But on top of that, there's demand for second homes. There's teardowns and there's natural, there are natural disasters. So if you add all that in, we're underbuilding by 300,000, maybe 400,000 a year. And we've been doing it now for the better part of a decade. So we're underbuilt by 3 million, 3.5 million, 4 million units. By contrast, back in 2006, 2007, instead of building 1.2, 1.3 million like we're building now, we're building 2.1 million. That's 35%, 50% more, I'm sorry, than we're building now. We were vastly overbuilding. So when you overbuild, you know, it's the, the hangover is inevitable. When you underbuild or you underdrink, the chances of having a, a recession or a banging hangover the next morning are very remote. Overbuilding is like drinking too much. You risk a really bad morning. 
On the other side of that, under-drinking, as you describe, seems like the safer path because we're pretty much assured of waking up without a hangover. But is there a lost opportunity cost associated with economic underdrinking? If you're looking for some certainty in life, you're never going to get it except, you know, death and taxes, as they say, right? Um, so this is a great opportunity right now because the worker shortage is acute. In, in, over the course of three, four, or five years in such an environment, now where worker shortage is so acute, the chances for overtime are terrific. The chances to learn new skills are better than they would be at a normal time. So three or four years in a hyper active environment like we have today is worth four or five, worth extra years. You know, every year today is worth like a year and a half, so to speak. I'm not literally saying that, but you get my point. Your exposure to new opportunities, new skills, new, new, new bosses, new opportunities is much better now than it's ever been before. So if you're interested in this profession, seize the bull by the horns and go. So with the building boom seemingly sustainable for the next decade and understaffed, you're saying that every day, month, or year of experience that you gain on the job during this situation, it's worth more than at other times, precisely because there is so much more opportunity to learn, to stretch your skills, and grow as a tradesperson. Does it make sense to consider college? I mean, it depends on the person. You know, some people who want to go to college and enjoy construction can go into construction management. That's a great career. It pays well. And there's a shortage of those people, too. No surprise. So, but, but everybody's not meant to go to college. This notion of you have to go to college or you're a loser or you, it's a sign, it's a stigma of some kind, does everybody a disservice. The key thing is to get a skill, whether it's an elevator repairman, an aircraft, an airplane technician, dental hygienist, you know, whatever it is, nursing assistant. These, there are jobs out there. You go to two years of community college. It costs a few thousand a year. And within two or three years, you can be earning $60,000, $70,000. That's a great return on your investment. If after five or 10 years you're bored or if a recession appears, you can always indulge your desire to go back to college then when the opportunity cost is lower, not now when the chance of making really good money and lots of overtime is really high. So you're in the trades today, then you're thinking about college. Between now and the enrollment day, back up your decision with data and lay the groundwork for your next career steps with these punch list items. One. Look up a few salaries for professions that you think you'd go after if you were to go to college. Accountant, historian, business administration, philosopher, forester, whatever. Look up the salaries for those areas that interest you. Two, now look up the cost of a college tuition at the closest state school. Multiply that number by four and you're looking at the rough amount of cash you'll have to pay in order to gain the earning potential of the salary exercise we just completed. But that's not the whole opportunity cost. It's only part of the opportunity cost. The other part is to look at how much you'll not earn in the four years it takes to earn that degree. In fact, if you're getting paid $20 an hour right now, that's about $41,600. So $50,000 is a nice round number and it's not too far off. So, as you get some more skills and you get a few raises, if you average about $50,000 a year for the next four years, that's not a stretch. It means you're going to accrue about $200,000 of unrealized income after four years of college. Three, now do the math. If it's going to cost you about $80,000 to go to the university, including room and board, for four years, 
at a time you won't be earning about $200,000 as a carpenter, add them up and it totals $280,000. That's a pretty wide swing. If you come out of college and get a job right away, starting at a salary of say $60,000 a year as an accountant, it'll take you 28 years to break even. In other words, the $10,000 difference that you're earning because of your college degree, it'll take you 28 years to make up for the $280,000 you invested in getting that degree. Maybe college is a good plan for those without construction skills, unless you're going for something like plastic surgeon, where you can make 250 or half a million dollars a year. But do the math before you make a decision. <laughs>